Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. I love being a part of a church that's unashamed to praise the Lord. Uh, I've said this many times. I'm not sure who leads who. Looking out here and watching you guys just go for it in the presence of the Lord, seeing the expressions on your faces and, and knowing what's in so many of your hearts by watching you live throughout the week, man, it just encourages me to see the Lord in a fresh and new way each time we get to worship. Such a joy to worship with you guys. God is good. Well, it's good to be back. I'm excited to be here and have the opportunity to get to be back with my family. I missed last week. I'm excited this week to dive right back into the Word of God. We've been in a study through the book of Judges, which is a challenging book. I mean, it really is. It's, it's not the book you go to when you're needing a warm and fuzzy right before bed. Like, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in this book that's pretty intense. Uh, we've been looking at, at how the book of Judges is a masterclass on how to get yourself into captivity and how God gets you out of captivity. It repeats itself over and over and over again, and we're going to look at the fifth cycle through Judges. We're going to begin looking at that this week and next as we look at this very flawed hero, uh, Gideon, and we're going to see how God uses him in some very cool ways. But, you know, as I was preparing this and, and looking, kind of as we look in the Old Testament, we see some amazing things happen in Scripture. And I wonder if you've ever read through parts of the Old Testament and thought, now, this is the kind of God I want on my side, right? I mean, you see him doing incredible things. Like, this is who I need in my life. I see a God fighting battles, freeing slaves in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, defeating Pharaoh, tearing down the walls of strongholds like Jericho and other places. We see him raining down devastating hail on five different armies that have come against Israel. God does amazing things. We look back and we see the miracles that God performed through Elijah and Elisha and so many others. And we see God actively working in power on behalf of his people. I got to admit, there's, there's a little bit of me that when I read about Elijah calling down fire from heaven, right, that burns up a sacrifice that's soaking wet, even consumes the stones that the altar was made of. In front of his enemies. I think that is the kind of God I want on my side, right? And I'm like, that's the kind of God I need in my life. That's who I want fighting my battles. That's who I want at work with me. God routed armies, blinded foes, shut up the mouths of lions, exposed evil conspirators. I mean, these are amazing things that God did in the Old Testament. He is mighty to save. And these stories are an awesome reminder. They stir our hearts with that. But I have to say this, in the darkest days, in the, in the clutches of captivity to sin, in the doldrums of just day-to-day -day life, when sometimes when you get caught in some meaningless wandering or failure, it's in these moments, and we'll understand this in a little bit more, but when we're kind of in the wine press, hiding and threshing out a handful of grain, just trying to get by, these stories in the Old Testament sort of haunt me. They sort of taunt me, if you will. They sort of provoke me and expose my life for, for what God could be doing in my life and through my life and what seems to actually be happening. And we see God at work in incredible power in the Old Testament. It, it causes us to long to see this. And I, I think we handle this in different ways. I think some come to a place, and this may be you, where you've begun to to experience some difficulty in your life and you've become to question whether or not God is even paying attention, whether or not God cares, or whether he's trying to get you, or whether he's abandoned you in some sort of way or is coming against you even. I don't know. We have these questions. And when we look back at the Old Testament, we look back even in the New Testament, and we see God's power displayed. And we look at those moments when it feels like he's not around, when it feels like there's nothing going on, or it feels like we're defeated, and, and those things kind of expose us. And, and I, gotta, I gotta be honest, we start to ask questions. God, are you there? Are you paying attention? Why have you allowed these certain things 
into my life. Can you not see that I am in pain? And we have these moments, and, and I think that when we read those Old Testament things, we see God working in incredible, epic, like Hollywood quality ways uh, on behalf of his people. We begin to question, well, does he care? Is he here? And I, and I want to look at this because I believe that deep down our souls know something that we're slow to admit. We want to compensate this, but our soul kind of knows it. Even if we're not willing to admit it, it's true that we were not made to live in captivity. And there's something in us that rebels against that and rises up against what we're experiencing. It feels like we are not at home. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And it doesn't matter where you're from or what's going in your life or what culture you've come out of. There is a longing for this freedom. There's a longing to, to live in, in this kind of joy. And many of us, I believe, and this is where we get to the crux of it. We'll get there in just a moment. But I think that many of us, we're going to see this in this story, have been more willing to submit to little gods that we can control and manipulate. At least we think we can. We've been willing to submit to them because we've been unwilling to yield to an all-powerful God. And ultimately, you will serve something. We've chosen to serve lesser gods we believe we can control. And in the process of thinking we've made ourselves independent and free from authority, we've actually enslaved our lives. And we found ourselves in a place of captivity that we do not belong. And I want you to know this. The book of Judges is like a masterclass of how to get into captivity, but it's also one of how God gets us out of captivity. And so I don't know where you are in that cycle. But I want you to think about that this morning. If I had a wheel up here and I wanted one, I just ran out of time. But imagine like a cycle of what's happening here where you see them come to this place of, of joy and repentance and intimacy with God. And that wheel begins to spin where they drift away from God into the other extreme, idolatry and rebellion against God. And sort of rock bottom, so to speak. And the cycle of the judges is when they hit rock bottom, God delivers them through a judge and brings them back to repentance and intimacy and freedom and hope and, and enjoying life in the land. Joy. I want you to think about this cycle that happens. And, and I believe that the book of Judges repeats it. And it's the same lesson and so many familiar themes. But I believe we get to see it from so many different angles. And I believe that's because we experience it in so many different angles. God wanted us to see it in different ways. And I believe that in different places you're going to relate more and more to these. I, I, I relate so keenly with this one. It speaks to me. But I want to ask you, if, if you're in that cycle, is there any reason, and before we go any further, I mean, we're going to get into it. Is there any reason you have to hit rock bottom before you come to some realizations? We'll, we'll get back into this. Listen, Gideon's, Gideon's story I believe it's important today because the circumstances that he was going through, that his family was going through, that Israel was going through are extremely similar to what some of you may be experiencing right now in this moment. Israel was overwhelmed by an enemy that was stealing their food, killing family members, and destroying the joy of life. Gideon's family had given in to worshiping other gods. You'll see this in a minute. His father actually had a Baal on the property, an idol uh, to Baal, right, an altar to him right on his property. And you may find yourself threshing little handfuls, not big harvests of out where you have the wind to separate the grain and, and you know, the husks. You, you're not out there doing large portions of grain. You're, you're down to little handfuls, hand threshing it in hiding because you know the enemy is stealing everything else. So many of us have experienced moments like that in our life. And listen, that's no way to live. Gideon knew that was no way to live. And you kind of pick up in this story. You see this sense of dissatisfaction rising up in him. But I know some of you guys can relate to this. You might feel like you're overwhelmed by an enemy that's been stealing from you, killing your hopes, destroying the joy in your life. You may have accepted those circumstances as normal, just getting by spiritually, so to speak. You felt it. That's no way to live. We were not meant to be surviving in captivity. And I think Gideon's story gives us an example of what it looks like when, when God calls a person out of hiding, out of fear, out of submission to the enemy, into a life of active, spirit-empowered leadership that begins to set them free and the people around them free. 
You're going to see how Gideon's life and what God did in Gideon began to affect him individually. It echoed out into his family, into his neighborhood, and even the nation of Israel. And it brings all the way to the point of peace. Listen, I believe God wants to, he desires to raise up Gideons in every family here. That we will live our lives and lead our families in the power of the Holy Spirit. And come, I want you to get this out of whining in the wine press. You're going to see this when we read scripture. Into freedom and fields of joy. Let's, let's get out of the whining in the wine press, all the questions and fears and doubts that come with that, the captivity that come with that, the fear of the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying that come with that, into fields of joy. Now, I want you to be careful as you listen before we get into this passage. Be careful as you listen. In no way do I want this to come off like a prosperity message. Listen, I, I'm talking primarily in spiritual terms. Because I cannot guarantee that the circumstances of your life are the outside things, the, the finances, all those things. I can't make any guarantees on that because I know the people who followed Jesus most closely ended up losing their lives. They lost everything. They forsook everything. But I want you to know this. The people who that have, have followed Jesus closely, the people who followed God closely, they experienced joy. Even through circumstantial suffering. This is not a, a get rich manual. This is not a fix all the circumstances around you. This primary, primarily, I want you to hear this in spiritual terms. But I also want you to know this. That when we get right in the spiritual. When we are right with God. When we are in a place of freedom with him. That that's going to echo out into other areas of your life. And, and it also when we are out of sync with God. When we are in rebellion with him. That also echoes out into other areas of your life. Now, I'm not going to make you any guarantees about these kind of things, but I want you to know that very often our circumstances are influenced by our submission to God. And this is a beautiful picture of how we can respond to him. God wants to raise us up, get us out of whining in the wine press. So flip to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to skip down to verse 11. I'm going to read this whole passage to you so you're going to know how it ends, and then I'm going to give you one observation and four action steps that we can make that are going to help us. Uh, work this way, and then we'll continue next week into uh, some other battles. So verse 11, it says this. So, uh, to set this up, you need to remember, in this cycle of the judges, uh, Israel had fallen prey to this, uh, the Midianites. We find out later they have an army of 130, 135,000 soldiers. And these marauders were out stealing, killing, taking whatever they wanted to. And for seven years, uh, Israel lived in uh, fear. And so this is what's happening here. So when you come across Gideon's story, that's the context. So verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, while the son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What a great line. Now, it doesn't seem to fit the context, though, but we'll get back to that. Verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. That it's you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. <laughs> this is a cool moment. We'll get back to this in a second. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, <laughs> I want to say that at some point in my life. That's my new word this week. But he says, alas, oh Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it. The Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Bezerites. What an awesome passage. Now, we're only getting to the part where Gideon is called today. We're going to see how this plays out a little bit later. But this moment where Gideon is called is so significant to me because this is where so many of us are. There's this moment where you're realizing that you're not liking what's happening in your life. You're seeing the discrepancy, and you're ready to move forward. You see uh, this, this young man from the hills of Manasseh living in a family that has suffered horribly at the hands of Midian. He's already lost some family members near Tabor, if you go back and see the rest of the story. And, and part of his family, they would have experienced constant robberies from their, their fields and their homes. Can you imagine experiencing that, watching the, the, the food that you had worked so hard to grow and harvest and store be robbed from you. Now, I can't even imagine. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen it. You've experienced it. But Gideon, he's the son of this guy named Joash. And Joash is the leader of a thousand men. And, and as he's leading them, he actually has built an altar to a false god, an idol to Baal on the edge of his property. And the whole region around him comes together. All these thousand people and their families come to worship this Baal. And this was their God where they trusted in it. They had put their hope in it. It was their smaller God that they could appease in order to gain control over their environment. <laughs> and so they would go and worship Baal. Now, this is the house that Gideon is in. Now, I don't know, but it feels like to me, we don't get all this story, but it feels like when we encounter Gideon in this story, the way he just pops off these answers right to the angel of the Lord, the way he's, he seems to already be thinking about these things, I kind of, it makes me wonder if somewhere in Gideon's life, he's become sort of a little bit concerned that this simple little idol to Baal is not doing its job. <laughs> like, here we are, and we're seeing, you know, we're worshiping this idol, we're trying to appease Baal, keep Keep him happy so that we can experience all these good things in our life. But where are all these good things? Like, this is a mess that we're in. And I think this question was on the tip of his tongue when the angel of the Lord shows up. He's like, well, why, why are we going through this? Where is this God that our forefathers told us was so powerful? Where is this God that the priest said would defend us and fight for us? I hear about parting the Red Sea. I hear about all these incredible acts of God. Where's he been? Why are we in this suffering? Why are we experiencing this? You know, we catch up with him in this tiny little spot with this handful of grain beating out probably what was just enough for the next couple of days all by himself. He's frustrated. And all of a sudden, he looks out and he sees this, this man, all right? He can't perceive initially from his look that it's the angel of the Lord. He's not coming in a way arrayed in all of his glory that, that Gideon begged for his life and dove on the ground like you see so many others uh, when they see an angel this, this is a, a much more subtle approach where Gideon begins this conversation with this person. He doesn't know yet is the angel of the Lord. And the angel begins to speak to him. Gideon sees him. And, and he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is how he is greeted. Now, this is a young man. Now, listen, it says that he had the appearance like he was the son of a king. So he, he had some, the, at least the appearance, the strength God had given him might that he was a steward of. He is, I believe, a man's man in this situation. He's doing what he's responsible for. But this is a great guy that, that's in here. And I believe he's frustrated. He's got this, this sense of irritation about the situation. And God comes to him. And he calls him mighty man of valor. Now, remember, he's hiding in the wine press. Some of you have seen this story before. This is kind of juxtaposed against what he's saying. It's kind of like, wait, what? What do you mean mighty warrior he, he's, he's hiding in a wine press, the wrong place to be threshing wheat. You need wind to kind of blow around, and you're, you're basically down 
in a little hole in the cleft of some rocks where nobody can see you, like doing it the hard way. This doesn't seem like, and you'll see this later on, Gideon consistently needs reassurance, and I'm not mad at him for that. Uh, I'm really not. Uh, but you see that, that when we see Gideon, on the outside, it doesn't look like a mighty man of valor. But God knows what is in him, more precisely who is in him, which is very important, and what he wants to do. And so we see this. Uh, let's, let's step back from this for a second. Let me give you one observation that I think is important, and then I'll give you four things that you can, uh, some action steps I believe this shows us in order for us to get out of the mess uh, that we're experiencing. First is this. The uh, first observation is that it's possible to be dangerously content in captivity. It's possible to be dangerously content in captivity. You know, I see Israel almost in a state of slumber in this situation. It's almost like Gideon is the only one who realizes there's a problem, you know, and, and, and that kind of disturbs me. It makes me wonder, like, where are, where's the army? It's been seven years at this point. Where's the resistance? Where's the battles? Where's the fighting? Where's the courage? And it makes me wonder, like, what's the problem here? Do these people not know who they are? I mean, do they not understand that they are God's chosen people? There seems to be this, this slumber that's happening in their life where they've begun to accept the status quo in their life. They've almost accept this, this meager life living in fear and submission to their enemies. They've almost accepted that as normal. And, and I say this, I think there's a, it's possible to be dangerously content in captivity and in oppression. And it makes me ask, do they realize who they are? Where is this battle? It's like they were asleep. And you know, it almost is like God seemed to agree with that assessment, that they may have been asleep, and God begins to allow some things in their life. I believe they needed a wake-up call. They needed a jolt, kind of like what Gideon got. And, and I believe that the way that God did this in them is similar to the ways that he allows us in our own life. God allows some pain in our life so that he can wake us up from the, the spiritual slumber we often get in. Listen, uh, you know, some of us get frustrated when we think about how God is allowing pain in our life and we begin to ask some of the very same questions that Gideon was asking of God. Why are you allowing this in my life? Where are all the miracles? What's going on? And God is allowing a certain amount of stress and pain in our life in order to wake us up spiritually so that we're able to assess the situation and see what's actually going on. You see, pain is a good thing. You think about, I know it doesn't feel like it, it hurts, but we've talked about this before, the, the insidious disease of leprosy. Uh, the, the biggest danger of it, the skin disease, was that it would kill off nerve cells uh, in, in people's extremities. And, and so one of the main reasons why people with leprosy lost fingers and, and hands and feet was because they lost the sensation to feel pain. And it, listen, if you don't know that your hand is, is leaning on the eye of a stove, until you smell it, that's an issue, right? Like, pain is a good thing. It wakes us up. And so if God is allowing pain in your life, I want you to consider a couple of things. First off, not all pain is necessarily God just bringing correction in your life. I want you to think that every pain, every sort of experience in your life, you can track back to some sort of, of failure spiritually. Uh, that's just not actually the case. A lot of the pain that we experience in our own lives is out of our control. Listen, we were born into a very fallen and broken world. Uh, God created a, a world with one rule, and, and other than that, it was to enjoy the garden. And, and when we disobeyed God, man, there's a lot of bad things that happened. This earth is cursed, and we began to die. And if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. We've experienced pain because we lose family members. We've experienced pain because of the... the the decay and corruption and brokenness of the world that we live in because of the sin that we've committed, because of the sin that other people have committed before us. Not all pain in your life is something that you're going to be able to deal with and then it go away. This, what I'm speaking of in here, is in the direct relationship to God's discipline in your life. There is certain, certain pains, certain difficulties in our life that are there. Not all of them, but some of them are there. Because God is trying to steer and redirect and wake us up and work in our lives. And we need to be aware that God works sometimes in that way. 
And we need to be sensitive to the fact that he could be leading us because if we come to this place where we're comfortable or we're content in the middle of captivity, this is a bad thing. You know, pain in this situation with Israel is what cleared their minds. Pain is what opened their eyes. Pain is what gave them uh, this this wake-up call from this zombie-like existence where seven years went by before they realized it was actually a big issue. This pain is what made them cry out to God. And so I want you to feel like the pain in your life may want you to question, God, where have you been? And those are good questions you should probably ask. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to get this. those, Those are there in order to wake us up, to make us sensitive to what's going on, that we don't continue on in that pathway. And I want to ask you this. Are things bad enough where you're ready to cry out to God? Or are you still asleep? You know, I think a lot of times, I mentioned this before, we're typically the last one to notice how bad things have gotten. <laughs> we have all sorts of rationalizations and different ways that we've used to, to cause ourselves to believe that the struggles that we're having, the spiritual deadness that we're experiencing is within our control and no big deal, that we can handle it. And we have so many of those things at work in our minds that we are, that we are sort of, our eyes become darkened to the significance of the, the problem in our life. And, and other people typically are more aware of that. They can, see, they can see that we are being overwhelmed by the marauding armies in our life. And it's easier for them to see these kind of things. But listen, here's the other thing. We see in this, this cycle that's happening. Is there any reason that you need to push this cycle all the way to its end in your life before you wake up? Or can you wake up by the power of God, this little twinge of pain in your life? Is there any reason you have to take it all the way to the extreme? Listen, I, my, my thing here is simply this, that it is possible, it is possible to become content, dangerously content in captivity. Don't let that be you. Scripture says this in Timothy 6, it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is for so many different reasons. We can, godliness reveals all of the, the, the messed up stuff about our lives where we can be content in almost anything, really in anything. We can find contentment in Christ because we know that even in the worst case scenario, heaven is our destiny. Heaven is our home. We will eventually see him face to face. We were able to deal with any amount of difficulty when we were walking in communion and intimacy with God. Godliness produces contentment in our life and godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. It really is. But captivity with contentment is dangerous. There needs to be some discontent in some of our lives we've become comfortable with. I encourage you, listen to the voice of the Lord. So let's get these four things. How do, we, how do we act out on this? The first thing I see that happens with Gideon that we need to do is, first thing is this. Acknowledge our circumstances. Acknowledge the circumstances. Stop rationalizing. Stop telling yourself it's not so bad that that you can handle it. It's time to be honest. You see Gideon taking his legitimate concerns to the Lord. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? How now? He said, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Like he just straight up tells this representative of God. He's like, what is the deal? And I think some of you guys need to have that conversation with God and acknowledge, listen, you're like, well, that would be offensive if I said that to the Lord. Well, he already knows what's in your heart. It's better that you just deal with it. Don't run away from God sulking and being passive aggressive at him. <laughs> like, like, it's a good marriage. It's certainly not good in your relationship with God. Don't, don't sneak away and just sort of hold this bitterness and, and all these questions that you've not taken him. Listen, if these things are legitimately there in your life, and you're having these huge questions about God's character and love for you, I want you to take those questions to him. Say these things out loud to him. Pray these prayers. I mean, they're not, it's not a right state of mind for us to be in, but if that's where you are, you need to be honest with God and just be like, where have you been? What's going on? And then I want you to do this. Brace yourself for his answer. It's what God said to Job, right? He said, why? Job asked, essentially that was his question. Why? Why have you taken everything from me? And in the exact same way, if you notice this in this passage, God does not answer any of Gideon's questions. Did you catch this? 
He never deals with that. Now, the question is answered if you look back at the beginning of chapter 6. It was because they had turned to idols and forsaken the God and walked in disobedience and idolatry. It tells us at the beginning of chapter 6. But in this conversation with Gideon, it doesn't actually answer. God does not answer any of the questions, the why questions. <laughs> but he does give him a command. <laughs> and don't be surprised if that's how God relates to you. God often doesn't give us all the answers to the why questions that we ask. And if you sit around waiting for the why questions before you do the what's, I think you're going to be paralyzed and stuck for a long time. Listen, if we were capable in our tiny little brains of understanding those why questions, God might answer some of them. But honestly, I don't believe we can handle the answers. It would blow our minds to, to perceive what God knows about a situation and what all is going into it. No, we can't. And God doesn't always answer the why, but he does give us a what. And I love this. So it's time for you guys to first thing, acknowledge your circumstances. It's time to have those conversations and realize how bad it's gotten and realize there's 135,000 soldiers stealing, killing, destroying, and that this is no way to live. Some of us need to get sick of being stuck. Right? Get dissatisfied. No, the second thing, acknowledge that you are in Christ. Acknowledge that you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Did you hear that? God shows up on the scene and he's like, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This had to have been a surprise to a guy hiding in the wine press to hear this kind of statement, but that's exactly how God greets him. I want to try that out on you. What if I look at you and I say, the Lord is with you, almighty woman of valor, almighty man of valor. How does that feel? Like if I gave you a t-shirt this morning, it was like, mighty man of valor. Yeah, I'm going to wear this out. Like, would that feel, would you feel honest wearing that? <laughs> and I think, I think for most of us, that's kind of a difficult thing to understand. Now, there's a nuance here I want you to get it because I love this. It seems like this, the way that God calls Gideon is the way he calls so many of his people. He sets them up for this mistake. And God always just sets them up, I feel like. And their response, we sometimes throw them under the bus for their response, but it's kind of the right response, right? God tells him, God gives him this impossible task. I want you to go free Israel from Midian. He's like, Psh, please, Lord. <laughs> I believe in the way we would say it, please. Lord, are you kidding me? I'm... I'm I'm a, a nobody, and I'm the least in my own house. What can I speak like? Like, let's be honest, God. You know, and we sometimes throw them under the bus for that, but I believe there's an honesty to that that is legitimate, <laughs> where they take stock of their own might and their own abilities and their own problems, and they think, I can't do this on my own. And I'm like, yes. It, it, that is exactly the attitude I think God's looking for. I think if God gave this impossible task, to someone else. I think it's why the someone else probably didn't get the job, okay? Because they were like, yeah, I can do that. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll come back. I'll check in with you in a few weeks after I've set everybody free. You know, I, I got this. Uh, nice to know that you wanted it done. We'll go ahead and make it happen. In fact, I've been kind of thinking about that on my own anyway. That's what I want to do. I got this. I'll handle it. Like, right? But God didn't choose that guy. He chooses the frail, the fragile, the fearful, and he grants them faith that they're able to step out and move in power. God didn't call a perfect person. The goal here in this situation is not for you to be just like Gideon in his might and strength. Gideon wasn't mighty. Gideon in of himself, you know, he had strong arms, I think. I think he was a big guy, but taking on a 135,000-person army, I don't think he was able to do that on his own. Are you with me? Like that, he knows he's unable to do certain parts of these things. God calls him to do the impossible. He sets him up and he says, I can't. And I love that. Once these leaders, and certainly in this case, Gideon realizes that he can, God shows that he can. This is God's response. Go with the might I gave you. I will be with you. In other words, I have created you with every tool that you need to do what I'm asking you. All right? That's cool for you to know. God says, I've granted you some might, the gifts that you need to do what I'm asking you. Go with the might I have given you, all right? That's part of the equation. So whatever God calls you to do, he's given you what you need to obey your job and to do what he's asked you to do in this. You have it. If he's told you to do that, you have it. But here's the cool thing. The real part of this is that God says, I will be with you. 
I am the deliverer of Israel, not you, Gideon. I'm the one who can overthrow Midian. You can't. I can't. He immediately turns to me and says, you've got all that you need, which is not much. In fact, when we get to the end of this story, this battle eventually is not even won with swords and chariots and mighty weapons of war. The weapons that are handed to Gideon is a trumpet and a clay pot. Like you think, well, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. I don't have what I need. Listen, trust me. God doesn't always work the way you might imagine it. If he says you have what you need and he gives you a command, he says, I'll be with you, go do it. You've got what you need. And that's an important thing for you to realize. It's time for you to step out. But it was right and good for Gideon to recognize his weakness. But it's wrong to use our weakness, our perceived weakness as an excuse to disobey God. God loves to call the weakest. He loves to, to, to lead the, the weakest people to do impossible things. I think he uses the fearful, the frail, the fragile, the flawed. God loves to call those people to do his work. God tells us that his power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Because when we are weak, he is? Yes, God wants the credit. And you're going to see this the way that God fights this battle later. He works so hard to make sure that everybody, whoever hears this story knows that it was God fighting on behalf of Israel. We'll get there in a little bit. So the goal here is not that, that you become the most skilled in Christianity enough to do impossible things. The goal is always to trust the one who is mighty so much that you're willing to do the impossible task he's called you to do. You get that? The goal is not for you to become the expert on everything and to, to master all these things. It is to be mastered by God who is all-powerful, right? And to trust him to do those impossible things. This is the deal. When you step out in the command of the Lord, you step out in the power of the Lord. When he sends you, he even says this, have I not sent you? When he sends you, there's power that goes with that. Let's move on. Third thing, confirm and submit to the word of the Lord. I, Gideon has this moment where he's like, wait, is this, is this really God speaking to me? There's some people who, who would argue that this is what we would call a Christophany, a, a, a manifestation of the person of Trinity, the Son, Christ, actually showing up in the angel of the Lord in this situation. There's several where, where we believe that could have actually been the case. I'm not going to say I know for sure, uh, but it, it seems like there's a great case for that, where this is actually Christ. The son speaking to Gideon. I can't prove that. There's certainly good arguments for and against. But we see that, it, that this, this person here is giving the word of the Lord. And if it is the case, it says that Jesus was the word. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is hearing the word of the Lord through the angel of the Lord, which could have been Christ himself. And you know, Gideon does something in this situation that I think is recommended. He says to the angel of the Lord, please do not depart until I know it's you. Don't depart until I'm sure who you are and what you're doing. Please don't leave. Like, I, I need to know this is you. And guys, we're human. We need this reassurance to walk in the kind of faith. And I believe that God wants to give us this kind of faith. So don't be shy. You know, God doesn't get angry with Gideon right here. He actually gives him assurance. I love that. I love it. And he said, well, Gideon was faithless. No, he said, please don't leave. I need to make sure it's you. And so he does his part and brings the food, sets it on the rock, and the angel of the Lord with the staff, and he kind of touches it, and the whole thing catches on fire, burns up, and then the angel of the Lord disappears. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty convincing. <laughs> and Gideon was like, I've seen the angel of the Lord. And God's like, it's okay. I'm, you're not going to die. You still have work to do. And he reassures him. But God reassures him. And there's this moment that you've got to come to. If you want to get out of the doldrums, out of the wine press in your life, if you want to get out of that, I believe there's this moment where you've got to have this experience where he says, alas, <laughs> oh Lord God, I have seen you face to face. That's the key here in this story. When you behold God in his glory, when you see him and he speaks to you and you've heard from him, not from me, not from Steve, not from a, a paperback, but when you have heard from God himself speaking into your life, there is a gumption and a power and a confidence that comes in your life that I cannot describe. It's called faith. We should be operating in it on a daily basis. Faith comes from hearing and hearing what? The word of God. It's not an imaginary thing we generate up in us. If you want more faith, you need to hear the word of God. 
You need to be sent by God. You need to put yourself in a place where you see his face. He speaks to you, and then you know what it is you're supposed to go do, and you can do that with confidence. And guess where you're going to find that? In incredible detail. And you're like, I don't know how to hear God's voice. (laughs) You learned how to do it in first grade. Just read it. I want God to speak to me. He has. I mean, really. Uh, This is not a preacher trick. These are the words of God. Don't ever say God's not speaking to me. Are you kidding me? Look at all this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yes, you do. Right? Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. You need reassurance. Get in the word. It is black and white. I believe that God will speak to you in ways uh, that are deeper in your soul. And he'll make the words jump off this page in ways that is an individual word to you. I believe he'll reveal to himself to you in supernatural ways, just like he did with Gideon, that reassure you that it is him speaking to you through his word. And he will speak into details of your life and with specificity that will blow your mind at times. But you need to see him. You need to put yourself. You need to give this attitude. Please don't leave until I know it's you. Listen. <laughs> Confirm and submit to the will the word of God. The fourth thing, Gideon's response to this, I love it. Go tear down that idol. <laughs> this is it. This is, this is the big one, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But it says, go tear down the idol. That's the first step. You can't put your faith in something other than God and walk in his power. You got to tear down that idol in your life. And I love the way this story works out. Gideon ends up building an altar to God out of the idol to Baal. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you can't have awesome. Some of us get stuck here. We have the awesome experience with God, and and we've heard from him. We've seen it. He's confirmed it. We've got this joy in our hearts. We're like, I know what I'm supposed to do. But you came one step short, and you didn't tear down the idol. And freedom begins there. Tearing down that idol. Listen, he got his father's bull in the night. He's still got a little fear. He's not sure how dad's going to respond to this. He's not sure how the neighbors who worship this are going to respond to this. But he doesn't care. In the middle of the night, he goes and he drags down this thing and literally builds an altar to God out of it. And lays another bull on top of it and offers up a sacrifice to God on the altar that he built out of the idol. I love this. And he calls it an altar of peace. It's so important. It's hard to tear down some idols in our life because we're worried about what a family might say. We're worried about what the neighbors might say. We're worried about the money that it costs to build that idol. We're worried about the investment that we have in it, the time we have in it, what will fill its space. How are we going to work in that? And, you know, we've been, you know, dependent on these things because we think they're going to bring some joy. We don't like tearing down idols, but listen, it's what has to happen. If you know where the idol is in your life that's keeping you in the wine press, that's keeping the power of God from flowing through your life, in fact, God is allowing pain in your life in order to wake you up from the devastation that has come from giving your heart to something other than God. Listen, if God is saying, tear it down, tear it down, please tear it down, then tear it down. Destroy it beyond recognition and light it on fire. Before the Lord and offer it to Him. And know that the mercy of God is able to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and lead us into freedom. Can, can I pause for just a moment? I want to give a word to just the men. Because I think as we talked about this Be Strong conference that we're going to, and, and for us, and I, and I say what I'm about to say, not because God is only calling men, but because we've become vulnerable in certain areas. And so much of what I say in this little chunk is applicable to you women as well, but I want to say it in a way I think that we men need to hear it. But but here's the deal. You men, you were made for this kind of violent, intense response to the Word of God. Listen, God has put in your heart this, this warrior spirit 
this, this intensity, this, the masculine nature uh, of God has put that in you so that you have in you the might to go and tear down the altars, tear down the idols on behalf of your family. God has put that in you. And I don't know, like, I, I want to say this. Go in the might that he has given you, and God is with you. Go and be a deliverer. Like, th this is what God has called us men to be. But, but, but so many of us in our culture, we've given in, and we're 10-year-olds trapped in a man's body because we've told ourselves we're just fake it till you make it as a man. And we've not accepted what God has called us to be, that you are a man, a man of God, and to take on all the roles and responsibilities that come with that. And I don't know, I think in some of our lives we, we deal with, uh, you know, maybe my dad didn't pass on this legacy and empower me the way, maybe he told me I was a failure, maybe he, he treated me like, you know, I was less than, maybe some bullies or somebody else, maybe the, that, that fatherly torch and empowerment was not passed on well to you, and, and, I, and I, I get that, like our culture is crazy. I think uh, the enemies attacked fatherhood in such powerful ways that oftentimes as men, there's never that moment where we know, you know, we've been called into manhood and we're asked to leave, to go and be a deliverer, to, to work. And, and here's the thing, what I believe is that God is calling some of you. And right now, I hope that you get this, that God looks at you and he says, mighty man of valor, I am with you. You are not a boy anymore. You are not incapable anymore. You can handle the responsibility that I've given you. Step up, lead, move, destroy the idols, restore, be that, take that role and responsibility of your life. Listen, I hope that some of you right now feel that just you're kneeling before the Lord and it's the sword of the king of kings just touching your shoulders and saying, I send you, I call you, you are mine, oh mighty man of valor, go, I will be with you. I hope that you hear that God is ready to launch you out and move you as a man of God into what he has. Yeah, I look at this and I think, you know, Adam killed the snake, right? So many of us have been like Adam, stood by and listened, let the snake tempt his wife. I'm like, dude, with the big arms God gave you, with the big feet he gave you, step on the snake, kill that thing, right? Take action. Some snakes in the trees in your house, in your yard, tempting your family. Destroy the idols. It's your role. Do it. Go in the power of God. Do what he's called you to do. Oh, man. He'll give you the weapons you need. They may not look like the weapons you think you need. He'll give you the ones that you need. Listen. We've got to come to the place where we acknowledge the circumstances in our life, where we acknowledge who we are in Christ, where we confirm and submit to the will of the Lord, and then we go and build an altar of peace out of the very idol that has brought destruction in our life. This is step one. If you, if you have any hope of going out and fighting against the Midianites in your life, the first thing that has to happen, your worship has to be settled on God. I want to read you this, and I said to you at the beginning, as we were introducing the message, I said, I believe that God desires to raise up Gideons in every family here that will lead us and lead their families in the power of the Holy Spirit out of whining in the winepress into joy and freedom in the fields of joy. I, I, want, to, I want to read this passage to you. Yeah, you guys can come on up. This is Isaiah 55. I want you to hear this. This is God speaking, I believe, through Isaiah. Verse 1, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Hear the idols? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation to you that you do not know, and nation that, did not know, that you did not know shall run to you, because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he 
has glorified you. That is a picture of a perfect Gideon. That is Christ. He is the better Gideon in this story, the deliverer that has come to set you free. He ultimately is the one who does this. Listen to what he says. He continues, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God or he will abundantly pardon. Praise the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth and, and are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and spout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen, this is it. For you shall go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. That altar peace. And led forth in joy. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Listen, you were made not to live in the desert in captivity. You were made to walk in fields of joy that God has had for you. So wake up from the spiritual slumber. Take action. Let's pray together. If you would stand your feet, we'll respond to God with this song. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us. I pray that now you would call us out of whatever we're in, that we would respond in the way that we need to. God, I pray that you call up men. I pray that you call up women, the Gideons in their, their own life and in their families and in our church, God, that you would use them to bring forth joy and freedom. God, I pray that you would call out workers. I pray you would call out dads. I pray you would call out husbands. I pray you call out moms and grandmothers and grandfathers. I pray that you would speak to them, that they would say, alas, I've seen the Lord. I've seen you face to face and you've spoken. I've heard you. have said, I've sent you and we go forth with faith and confidence. God, lead your people now. We pray in Jesus' name. Come forward. You're willing to pray here at the altar and go to the back if you need to. However you need to, respond to God and pray that God will lead you. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.